Will you join me in the prayer for guidance? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Okay, well, the scripture this morning is Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, 
What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what he had done or for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Peggy. And This is a was a rather long passage. I was reading recently, somebody had uh, traveled around to a lot of churches, especially contemporary churches, and they noted that the churches no longer read the word out loud in the way that we do here. And so sometimes the passage is long, and I'm looking at time and everything, and I'm like, but it's the word of God. How can we, you know, we, we, we have made such an idol out of time in this society that we would rather sacrifice the word uh, than to sacrifice the time. And so uh, I hope you appreciate what Peggy just read and if you were following along in your, your Bibles. This is actually uh, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because of the courage that we see here. And I was reminded as I was reading it this week, uh, recently we watched Laters, Ra- Laters of the, of the Ark, okay? The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and... Uh, we, we watched it with uh, Mark because we've been trying to show Mark some of the great classic movies of America since he's been here, uh, such as Jurassic Park and, and so forth. And, you know, haven't get, gotten to the Hulk yet. But, um, but there's a scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is now 37 years old. That's hard to believe. 37 years ago, uh, that uh, movie uh, premiered. And in the movie, uh, you may, you probably, I'm sure you remember the scene if you're familiar with the movie at all, where Harrison Ford as, as Indiana Jones is uh, in this market square in the Middle East and uh, uh, a swordsman confronts him. Uh, you know, he's been running around, there's big chase scenes and everything. All of a sudden, he just breaks out, the crowd kind of parts and surrounds him and the swordsman, the swordsman stands back from him and he has one of those scimitars one of those swords from the Middle East, and he's flashing and waving, and he goes through this, you know, for about 60 seconds. He's just doing, you know, between the legs, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just uh, uh, very impressive. And Harrison Ford's just standing there looking at this. 
And so what you're expecting is this big fight scene, and maybe he's going to use his, uh, his whip in some ways. That's his weapon of choice. But you're expecting a big fight scene. And actually, in the original version of that scene, it was supposed to take three days to shoot the scene because it was going to be a big fight scene, and it was going to be extensive, and they were very excited about this scene. The only problem was that... Uh, Harrison Ford was not feeling well. He was feeling terrible. The, the temperatures had been 130 degrees. Uh, he had dysentery, so you might say they gave him the runs of the place when he made the request. Sorry about that. Uh, he made the request to Steven Spielberg to do an alternative scene, to not do the full three days of shooting. What if I just pull out my gun and shoot the guy? <laughs> and, you know, they thought about it. And they thought, wow, that works. And it became a lot of people's favorite scene in the whole movie because it was so Indiana Jones-ish not to take, not to try to impress or anything, just to do the effective thing, to pull out the gun, the most effective thing he had, and just shoot him and not go through all the fight. And so I thought about this this week with Peter because I imagine Peter standing up there before this crowd and there's the religious authorities and the people, who, you know, they're very impressive uh, ceremonies and, and traditions and, you know, that's, they're there at the temple uh, in all its glory. And Peter stands up and what's his weapon? It tells you in here that they observed that he was uneducated. What does he have to confront a thousand years of traditions, all the knowledge of the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, who were firm. Uh, these were usually the wealthier class, the powerful, the priests. All the power of Israel was there in front of him and around him. Who was he to confront them, to say anything? And yet he pulled out his gun. <laughs> you know, there's an old song about the gospel gun. Kids sing. I don't think kids sing that. It's not, it's not politically correct for kids to sing about a gospel gun anymore, but I remember this song about the gospel gun. Well, he pulled out that little, little gospel gun that you would think wouldn't have much power. It's just words, right? And he let them have it. And he confounded the leaders around him, those who, who wanted to, to, to punish him, to keep hold of him, to imprison him, to stop him. Uh, These were the very same people who thought that they had stopped Jesus Christ back at the tomb, at the cross, that that was the end of this. But then they observe, you know, here's somebody else, they're talking about resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, so they wanted to put a stop to this. The political people and the religious people wanted to put a stop to it because this sort of thing was a threat to their power. So it says that they caught on that this guy had been with Jesus. Oh, okay, it's that Jesus guy again. We thought we had him under control, but now he's got this guy going out for him, even after he has died. The reality of it is that Jesus was in him. They asked him, who, do you, who, who are you saying these things? Uh, and how, this healing, whose power is that in? Whose name is that in? And he says, the same Jesus of Nazareth who you crucified. How many of you have dandelions in your yard? 
you know, I, I like to just play a game. I know there's no way to defeat them except Scott's weed and seed, and I refuse to put the weed and seed on my yard. I'm not going to spend the money, and I'm not going to put the chemicals and all that kind of stuff on my yard. So I go out there every spring, and I get on my knees. I get on my knees, and I crawl around the yard, and I grab onto the seed head so the seeds don't spread. I put them into the bucket, and I go. And it's a losing proposition. guy walked by recently, and he said, Scott's weed and seed. <laughs> I said, I know, I know. It gives me sort of the illusion that I have them under control, but the, at the end of spring, I have more than I've ever had. The dandelions defeat me. That's what the, these religious authorities were trying to do. They were trying to stop the seed of the gospel from, fret, from spreading, and they couldn't do it. It was too much. And, and, they, and they saw the multiplication of the numbers. The first day it was 3,000. And then this day there were 5,000 more. Now there's 8,000. And when is this thing going to stop? When will the dandelions stop doing this to my yard? When will we get this under control? But they couldn't get it under control. So the, he, Peter was there threatening everything that they believed and their traditions. And got me to thinking this week in the few moments that I have, that it would be important for us to think about tradition for a moment. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of this thing in the United Methodist Church, and every week I'm, I'm reading things. They had to, uh, uh, we had a constitutional amendment everybody voted on last year, only we voted on the wrong thing. There were words in there that shouldn't have been in there because they had been taken out at a previous conference, and so now we're going to have to vote on it again this year. Uh, it didn't get the two-thirds vote in the, in the form that it was in, it got 66.5%, very close to the two-thirds, just barely lost. So now we're going to vote on this thing again. And then the bishops had to come out with a clarification statement on what they had just said out of Chicago, what they had decided, because some of the bishops disagreed about what it was they had decided. They went out saying, okay, we've decided this. When they got back into their homes, each bishop was putting out statements about saying, this is what we decided in Chicago, except the statements didn't agree. And so then they had to come back as a group and say, we want to clarify this. But still some of the bishops say, no, but that's, that's still confusing. We're in the midst of this terribly confusing time in our church as to what's happening and where we're going and, and all too. And, and I feel like it must have felt a little bit like that for these, these leaders of an established religion that thought that they had this thing going, that they, that they had an agreement with the Romans and everything was set up. And suddenly here comes this Jesus into the whole thing and, and Peter and John and they're disrupting this thing. So I was thinking about tradition this week and then, of course, when they had the royal wedding, anybody watch the royal wedding out here? Yeah, some of you. If you didn't see it, you could probably watch the fictional recreation of it that Lifetime uh, Channel will be doing soon. Uh, and then you can just spend an hour and a half on it. But I watched little things about it. The thing I was interested in was the uh, most reverend uh, uh, leader of the Episcopalian Church in America. Now, the Episcopalian Church is not the Church of England. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different church. It's, it's our American version of the Church of England. And Meghan Markle had, had requested that he come and uh, deliver the homily, which usually a wedding homily is three, five, six minutes or so. It's, it's not very long. And the poor English people had to sit for 14 minutes and listen to this guy. And he was great. He preached like an American, an African-American preacher. 
He was emotional. He was moving around. He was asking questions directly to to the audience. It wasn't what they were used to. And I noticed sometimes the camera would go, and mouths were open and kind of chins on the floor, and they they seemed a little bit in shock. Poor Harry, he's one of those guys, I don't care if it was Billy Graham or whoever, I was watching him. Megan's sitting there smiling and reacting to, to what the archbishop is saying, and, and, and Harry's there like, you just see the eyes start to sag. You know, he's doing that whole thing. On his wedding day, I don't know. I never see that in here, folks. Okay, Some of y'all just did the, you, you kind of heard what I was saying. So, uh, the archbishop is, 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 is going on, and then they had a gospel choir too, uh, which was an uh, African-English choir. They were from England, but they were all uh, uh, African, uh, uh, darker-skinned people. How do, you, how do we say that? I mean, I don't know the right terms to say here. So they have this gospel choir that sings Stand By Me, and you have this, this bishop preaching. And you have things not quite within the traditions that they're used to. And I heard an English commentator, she was some expert, but she really was upset by the length of the sermon. It got to her, you know, that it was not really appropriate for that setting to do that. Well, this is what Peter is up against. And sometimes what happens, our traditions get so wrapped around us. And the reason we love traditions is they give us a feeling of security, right? Traditions, routines create security. And so we wrap them around us like a security blanket. The only problem is when we're so tightly wrapped in that blanket, we may not see or hear or feel what God is trying to do. So Peter comes in the midst of all their traditions, and he's trying to break through the blanket. And it's working, except those who are the hardest entrenched into those traditions, the leaders. And they're looking for some way to stop this, but they can't. You know, that's what Pentecost is really about. It's about the Spirit breaking through and coming into our lives and and coming into us in ways that we never expected and breaking down things that we never thought that that would be broken down in our lives. It's about uh, change and sanctification, about redemption. It's about God recreating us into His image again. But if we're too fixated on our routines and our traditions, it makes it hard. I pray that uh, we will see the courage of Peter here. Put yourself in his place. He had the Word of God on his side. He had the Holy Spirit in him. And suddenly Peter, who sometimes wasn't the most courageous person in the world... He was Indiana Jones. John Wesley once said, he said, and, and you, I, I know many of you have heard this before. I'm sure I've read this before. It's, 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 a, it's something that John Wesley said, I think more than anything else he ever said, that eats at me. And I keep wondering, is this prophecy of his true? He said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or America. But I am afraid that they should exist only as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. Isn't that what Peter encountered that day? People who had the form of religion, but not the power. 
the power of the Holy Spirit was in him. And, he, and, and Wesley went on to say, this undoubtedly will be the case unless these Methodists hold fast both to the doctrine, the spirit, and the discipline with which they first set out. Traditions and legalism have a way of seeping in over time. We don't, we don't really notice it. And over time it comes in and it, and it starts to kill us. Until we value the form of our religion more than we do the power of our religion. We value the traditions more than we do the reality that Jesus Christ is living in each of us. And that should mean something. That should change us. That should dictate each and every day where we walk and where we go and how we treat the people around us. My prayer is also that we would have that courage of Peter to face with truth and honesty the need of the world around us. Folks, the church wasn't created for you and me. And you may say, wow, but we are the church. We're the church members. If not us, who was it created for? It was created for the lost. It was created for the lost. We've received God's Holy Spirit, that gift. We've received the gift of eternal life. But there's a lost and hurting world out there that is not. And God created the church to go into all of that world and to preach the gospel and to teach and to baptize and to make disciples. So my prayer is that is who we will be, a living body of Christ sent into the world. One last thing I'll share with you, and then that's the end. There was a young girl, 15-year-old girl, you may have seen in the news, uh, Boko Haram, which is an Islamic terrorist group in Nigeria, captured over 100 uh, school children, all girls. And they took... This girl, along with all the others, and after about a month, they've done this several times in the past. This happened back in February. After about a month, they freed the girls, except for this one. And the article talked about how the girl's mother heard that the girls had been freed, and she came down excited to see her daughter again. But when she went down there, and all the parents were there, joyfully receiving their children back, her daughter was not there, the only one who was not there. And the other girls said to her, they said, we tried to tell her. It's okay. Just tell them that you don't believe in Jesus. Accept Islam. And you'll be freed, and then you can believe whatever you want. But she refused. The one, the one student who said, no, I will not deny Jesus Christ. 15 years old. So she is still held. She may never have a graduation. She may never receive a diploma. She may never, uh, you know, be recognized for her academic or athletic achievements. But I can't imagine the pride that her Father in Heaven has in her. I can't imagine what He has stored up for her. Because she, like Peter knew the courage of the Holy Spirit. May that be our courage also. And amen. Now go out into this world and be the body of Christ.
May the Spirit of God be with you, empower you, and give you the courage in every situation to let Christ be your vision, your ruler, the love of your life. Go forth in his love and the grace of God. And amen.